for the blind just something that'll find in the rhyme that are coming from my mind used to coming from behind Overland good morning good morning good morning everybody it's been a while you know i'm not gonna regale you again with why it's been a while or saying it's been a while i don't even know what episode it is we'll just sit i'll figure it out next time uh if there is a next time though, there will be a next time. i'm gonna make some efforts to record podcasts with that said though first and foremost i want to uh take a moment of silence for someone who passed away um who was very close to me and yeah just want to have a quick moment of silence would have been better if all the noise outside my apartment wasn't so loud but hopefully you guys didn't hear that anyway with that said uh let's jump right into things so you can probably imagine why I'm here now. Uh, after all this time, you know, I, I had taken a hiatus of talking about the Sixers because the Sixers, while I've watched every single game forever, all the time, all the time, always, uh, everywhere, all at once, um, you know, it's very difficult to want to talk about a team that is so very frustrating and honestly so incomplete the the James Harden thing I mean you know what how about this let's start here first let me just give you a quick some quick thoughts on what I think about this season so far so other than the game against Milwaukee which was disgusting uh mostly because of Joel's effort level um I think that the season has actually been very encouraging I think Game two against the Raptors was a little bit messier, but game three against Portland, now mind you, Portland stinks. So I don't expect them to really give us a ton of issues, and Scoot certainly isn't John Morant yet. Um, So, you know, we'll see, you know, Pat and pending on Scoot Henderson. But um, the point is, is Joel was absolutely dominant on the second night of a back-to-back uh, and the effort level was there. He was grabbing rebounds, blocking shots. Um, he was a force defensively, a force offensively. And so I expect that hopefully that level of effort going forward. Um, I Nick Nurse has always been one of the best tacticians in the league. Uh, whether his voice can apparent, can get grading for teams uh, after a while, similar to a Larry Brown or a Stan Van Gundy or a Tom Thibodeau. Um, is you know yet to be seen he's only coached on the raptors before that he coached the g league um so we'll see you know his his genius could be aggravating i think for some uh for some players so but in terms of you know x's and o's in terms of countering what some of the better coaches are going to be doing i would feel i feel very very good about uh nick nurse there was a couple things that i i disagreed with him on um on the game against milwaukee I, and i can't remember them now oh mostly just our substitution patterns who we had in the game at what time uh i thought was very confusing um but other than that i don't i didn't really mind it you know <coughs> i think you know as you're learning your player skill sets you know, you're going to kind of develop a better rotation eventually, and you know who needs to go where. Um, 
you know, we have a, a few guards here. Thankfully, you know, getting rid of guys like Shake has opened up spots for guys like Jaden Springer, who can jump out of the gym, who really spent a lot of time working on his three-point shot. And his three-point shot during preseason was pretty solid and dependable, but his defense is really good. And, I mean, you've seen some of his blocks. He can jump out the gym. Um, Paul Reed, as a backup center, has been cool. You know, I think it's – I was a little bit worried. You know, we, we signed Mo Bamba. I was like, okay, well, Mo can help, you know, but I was surprised by Mo because Daryl doesn't like signing tall players. Typically, he likes to have, you know, shooting guards playing center – point guards playing power forward, children playing point guard, whatever it is. You know, he just wants the smallest player possible, unless it's James Harden, then the plumper the better. Um, And so, you know, watching Paul Reed play was pretty encouraging. I I did like what I see. Kelly Oubre has been incredible. I'm not really surprised by that. I, I did like that signing. I thought, you know, we lost Niang, so we needed some shooting on the bench. And Kelly Uber over the last few years had become a very dependable three-point shooter. But the biggest thing to me is I don't remember the last time we've had an athlete on our team. You know, I, I, I maybe Ben, and we watched what happened with him. So it's nice watching a guy who can get above the rim, who can finish dependably. Like, it's really encouraging. He's a solid defender. Listen, he's not always there's going to be frustrating days with him. The thing is, is what I will say is by far, he has fit better next to Joel than Tobias has ever fit next to Joel. And of course, I wouldn't go very far if I didn't mention Tobias Harris. Tobias has actually been playing pretty well this season. But again, you know, you're just going to be, when you have to call offensive plays for Tobias, that can't be the thing. It's never going to be the the best case scenario. He can get himself out of control, make bad passes. His handling is meh. Uh, his finishing is okay. He's become a better finisher over time. His shooting can, at times, as a catch-and-shoot player, can be fleeting. Although last year, as the season progressed, he got a lot better. And this year has been good so far. Um, but in general, he just doesn't fit next to Joe. Um James Harden, whatever. Uh, we'll get to him in a second. Uh, Melton has lost a bit of a shooting stroke, even though in the preseason his shooting stroke was absolutely – I mean, he was just shooting like like he had Chernobyl in his veins, you know, just a, a meltdown to the core, to the earth's surface, about to poison all the rivers and lakes in the area with how hot – he was getting, but now he's definitely cooled off a bit. Um, so hopefully he can regain that shooting touch. But because other than that, you know, I think I have liked from what I've seen. Maxi has clearly improved. I, you know, my biggest thing about Maxi over the last year, last couple of years, has been, you know, he doesn't have a, a huge bag of tricks, and I, I do think that is a problem. It doesn't look like he really has worked on that piece of his game yet which is fine his shooting has become so dependable he has worked on regaining his float game because he used to flow everything he was you know like uh like it time to float you know like that dude you know what i mean just floating everything all the time and then last season he wanted to become a stronger finisher through contact but because of that he was having trouble differentiating when to flow when to get to the rim um, and this year looks like he's kind of getting a little bit better at picking that spot. 
Uh, and it looks like he's also become better at just kind of, you know, finishing through contact and drawing fouls. So Maxi has definitely been very, very encouraging. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, what else is there? I'm sure I'm missing things in my head. Um, but yeah, I'm just so excited, right? I'm elated. That's what it is. It comes to my elation. So we trade James. Now, I am elated we trade James. The trade is, you know, it's a poo-poo platter of crap, right? So you trade James, you trade P.J. Tucker, who I will, that's an addition by subtraction. I'll tell you why in a second. But you trade James, you trade P.J. Tucker, you trade um, Philip Petrasev, who, you know, whatever. He played in the preseason, got, got into foul issues, foul trouble a couple games. He wasn't really anything special. Um, and obviously you trade James and you get back, you know, Robert Covington, which I'm sure a lot of process fans will rejoice over that for whatever reason. Uh, you get back Batum, you get back, which is really the probably the most important part player that we're going to get in this trade from the Clippers currently. And one of the Morris twins, whichever Morris twin this is, I think it's Marcus. I, I don't know. Uh, and but you get two second round picks. You get a unprotected 2018 pick and a second first round pick, which is TBD from the last thing I've read. I don't know where that pick is coming from. It's coming from a third team. I'm not sure what that means or where it's coming from. Uh, my guess is maybe there is a trade involved here somewhere else or a second piece to this trade. Maybe this is a three-team trade that we're not aware of that is going to net us back a second first-round pick. Maybe they finally gave in and gave us Terrence Mann and that Terrence Mann is actually going to get rerouted immediately to whichever team Maury had identified would give up a first-round pick for him. Um, and so with that, that 2018 pick is the key, right? 2018 first-round pick unprotected. I mean, 2018, my goodness, 2028, I should say, 2028, which that Clippers team is going to be a tire fire by 2026, probably the latest. Um, and so that pick should really mean something. It really, really should mean something. And it's probably very valuable in the league. And I think if you put that together with a Tobias Harris's contract, which is a sizable contract, but is expiring. Those are two very, very valuable assets, depending on the team. You know, it depends on the team, right? A team like Chicago who may want to blow it up, you know, even though they don't look like they want to blow it up, although I'm not sure why. Game one, you have a team meeting. That's, you know, listen, team meetings are going to happen. I don't think it's as serious as people make it. However, when a team meeting gets reported, that's usually not a good sign. And it's even a worse sign when the team meeting gets reported after the very first game of the season. You know, like that's just a bad sign. So maybe a team like Chicago who wants to blow it up, maybe they'll give up Levine. Maybe they'll give up DeRozan. I would take either or. Um, I like Levine a lot, but then I, sometimes I do get concerned about just his mentality and shot selection and his defense. I think he wants to be good. But I don't think he wants to listen. So that's, uh, you know, two conflicting mindsets there. You know, if maybe if he can come under Nick Nurse's tutelage, he would become a better player and we could see something there. I don't know. But again, that's all based on whether they want to blow that up or not. Uh, I would definitely take the Rosen. I, I, you know, like the Rosen. I, he's grown on me over time. I think he's a solid player. He can shoot. He can he can hit threes. 
here and there enough to have to be respected. Uh, obviously, his mid-range game is absolutely fire. When it comes to needing a bucket, if you add him with Embiid, with Tyrese, well, you have a you have a guy who in the playoffs is going to be very difficult to have to deal with. His defense is leaves a lot to be desired. That's fine. We have players who can deal with that now. You know, he's just a body who can go out there and you can stick him on P.J. Tucker. You could put him on Aaron Gordon against the Nuggets and let your, you know, whoever the other guys are, whether it's Oubre and Batum starting, they can guard some of the other harder wings with whatever it is. You know, Maxi will work hard on defense. Um, and so you can have something there, right? I don't know what it is. I'm not saying I'm, DeRozan is the answer or not the answer. I'm not sure. Maybe the answer is Buddy, but I'm not giving up an unprotected 2028 pick for Buddy Heald. Um, even though I, I like Buddy, if, if it's just a straight uh, Tobias and a second-round pick for Buddy, then fine. I, I would do that, sure. Because the only reason I bring that up is because the Pacers were interested in Tobias last season, and maybe they're still interested. I don't know. Maybe they've seen enough of Tobias at this point to know that they don't want Tobias. So uh, I don't want to be too biased against them, but, you know, what else can I do? Um, so, so yeah, you know, that's pretty much the rundown, right? There has to be a second part of this trade. It's incomplete. We don't have enough information here. Uh, in many ways, though, this is an addition by subtraction. Uh, to start from the beginning, one, overall, this is a fail. No matter what, I, I want Maury gone. And I don't like asking for people to be fired. You know, go get your money. That's fine. Whatever it is, but you can get the fuck out of here. Because you have been a, an absolute failure. It's been a fail. To be clear, I don't have all the exact trade details in front of me because I, I'm just not wanting to throw up in my mouth yet. He traded Ben, he traded Seth, he traded Andre Drummond, who was Joel's best backup big that he's ever had. And Seth, who was the one of the best, is one of the best shooters in the NBA, but was one of the best teammates Joel had, really fit that J.J. Redick role coming off the of screens, dribble handoffs, that whole thing. Um, although he can't defend a lick just because he's too small. Um, so you traded those three things plus, plus, yeah, I just added a T to plus if you didn't hear it, plus, I believe it was, I don't know, I can't, I want to say three first round picks, something like that. Maybe it was two for, no, I'm pretty sure it was three because we couldn't trade any other first round picks for the foreseeable future. Um, in order to get James. Ben, whose value at that time was still somewhat sky high, it was still in the sky. You know what I mean? Like, it was like a high plane still. You could have gotten things. There was talks of getting Tyrese Halliburton. That was a real thing that was happening at the time, a real rumor. The problem was that Maury didn't want Tyrese and just Tyrese. He wanted Tyrese. He wanted De'Aaron Fox. He wanted he wanted the kitten caboodle as they said in the 50s, 60s, and when they were more racist, or no, maybe when they were more racist behind closed doors, I should say. He wanted the whole kit and caboodle, which I'm sure probably is a racist term, and I just, you know, it's gotten lost over. It's like, it's like an Indian giver. People say that, and it has one of the most awful definitions ever. He wanted the whole thing. Okay, so you give up, but instead you go and trade additional assets to get back James, to get back Paul Millsap, I forgot who the other... We got someone else back in that deal, too. I, I can't even remember at this point. Um, 
it doesn't even matter. Uh, in the end, it doesn't really matter. You traded all of that to get back those quote-unquote assets. They were not assets. James had forced himself out of his second team at that point, was extremely overweight in order to force himself out of a second team. He was overweight. And then we proceeded to lose in the second round of the playoffs again. Listen, Joel can be very frustrating, okay? I, but I need to just keep it in the middle because people will take things way too far. You people, Joel's a choke artist. He lost in the second round. And then on the other end is Joel is better than Joker. Both of those things are not true. Right, neither one of those things is true. It's a little bit difficult to compare Joker and Joel, other than the fact that they are centers. That is the only app comparison that they deserve. Because at the end of the day, Joker has had a team built around him once they identified that Joker was the way. Once they traded away Nurkic. Sorry about that. There was a bit of a technical difficulty. I had to step away for a quick second. Uh, where was I? So what I was saying, the Nuggets did a great job building around Joker. And they put a team around him so that when he would be in the playoffs, he would not be in the situations that Joel has been in. We have never, ever actively put a good team around Joel. Now, mind you, listen, this is not too even have this debate, Joker is a better basketball player than Joel. Joel is a more impactful defender when he is putting forward effort. When Joel is at 100% effort, Joel is the best basketball player I may have ever seen in my life. But the problem is the when he's putting forward 100% effort is a little too far and few between at times to justify an argument that he's actually better than Joker. He isn't. As a basketball mind, it's not even comparable. You know, I'm sorry, Philadelphia fans. I, I hate to tell you that because I know that that seems to be shocking to you as you sit there and try to just shit on Joker as Joker literally ran through the playoffs and the finals on one of the greatest runs we've ever seen in our lives and absolutely dominated every single team he saw. Joel is capable of that for sure. He has never had a team built around him that's made sense. He has been injured. Maybe you could say I'm caping for him. That's fine. You can you can say that. That's fine. If that equates him being a choke artist, that's fine. I equate that to him having some really bad luck. It's not his fault Ben did what he did. All right? It's not his fault Ben did what he did. <laughs> that's not his fault. It's not his fault that he's occupied the court with Ben, a player who is unable to do anything on offense. People want to say, oh, well, in the 90s, there was there was less space and guys still dominated. Yes, because in the 90s, you were not allowed to play zone defense. We are allowed to play zone defense now. It's a different world. Zone defense has always been a way to minimize the impact of a post player. That is a thing that exists. The only way that they somewhat make it so that post defense isn't so constantly having one person just at the rim is by employing a defensive three seconds. That is it. Before that, it used to be a legal defense. You cannot play zone defense, and then it changed. There is a difference between the NBA in the 90s and the NBA today. And just go trying to do this whole 
uh, this guy would have dominated then. Well, defenses were different. They operated different then. We don't know how that person would have played back then. All right. Steve, uh, Steve Nash won two MVPs right after they took hand checking away. Did he deserve those MVPs? Yeah, he probably did. I mean, his numbers are incredible. He was amazing. He probably could have been a way better player had he been a little bit more selfish in, in terms of shooting. Um, so it's a different, it's different. Okay. It's different. The Celtics, I said this last year when the Celtics, when Joel scored 50 against the Celtics, as they were having Grant Williams defend him and they were having Al Horford go one-on-one on him. It's funny. It's hilarious watching Joker, uh, watching Joel absolutely destroy Robert Williams on Sunday night. You know why? Because people literally thought Robert Williams stopped Joel. And it's such a miserable way of understanding the game of basketball without understanding that, A, the same defense we implied against Joker in, I forgot when that was, February or whenever it was that we played them and beat them. The same defense that we employed against Joker is the same defense they employed against us, which is we had one player man up against Joker, and then we had Joel guarding Aaron Gordon and standing off of him to make it so that they could just double very easily on Joker. Two very big and strong bodies doubling on Joker can make it very difficult. Well, the Celtics did the exact same thing. They did the exact same thing, except they did it with two centers. We did it with a 6-5 power forward. That is not Charles Barkley. And we did it with Joel, one of the better defensive centers in the league. They did it with two very good defensive centers. That is a completely different approach. So, yeah, it is very difficult to beat that type of defense, especially when you're not healthy, especially when then on the other side, on the offensive side, we have P.J. Tucker, who is a zero on offense. Yes, he does the little things. I know I'm so well aware of all the little things he does. Yeah, I get it. He also goes 0 for 5 routinely. I mean, that's the P.J. line, 0 for 5. My man, (laughs) grab the offensive rebound, scrap on the floor, miss five straight shots. (sighs) So now what we've done is we've gotten rid of P.J. That's great. We replace him with whoever. Whether we want to replace him with Batum, whether we're replacing him with Kelly Oubre, either or is fine with me. Batum is a better defensive option who could spread the floor, who's played small ball center on in many, many games against many different teams. It's a big loss for the Clippers. That's kind of underrated. Um, so we have some guys here. That's good. We have some good defensive guys, some size. That's that's, that's pretty sweet. Um, the point being, though, that this is an addition by subtraction. You know, this is really an addition by subtraction. Maxi has shown over the first three games that he is capable of being a point guard to a degree. He isn't quite there, but as I watch more games, I see more point guard decisions. There was a fast break against the Trailblazers on Sunday where I think last year Maxi would have taken the shot. Instead, he he whipped out a pass, a two-handed chest pass straight to the corner for a three-pointer, for a wide-open three-pointer in transition. That is the point guard decision. Maxi last year would have gone to the bucket and tried to finish through contact, try to get a foul shot, which is also good in its own way. But I want my point guard to identify the better shot. You know, that's the point, right? Is is you could, yeah, you have a good shot. You can get a good shot here, but there's a better shot right there. Um, 
so at the end of the day, I think that this is a positive. But oh yeah, because I've gotten you know it's tough. I got interrupted on the tangent, and now I'm trying to come back to the original point, and I don't remember completely what the original point is, except that yeah, Maury sucks at his job. The trade should have been for Tyrese Halliburton. That should have just been it, and it would have been done. We would have been happy. Halliburton is a franchise-changing player, as you see with the Pacers. As you see him with the Pacers, you just see how they carry themselves. They are confident. They, they're they just a good-feeling team. Are they going to win a lot of games? Maybe, maybe not. Pro- probably not. But then again, Halliburton is the only player on the team that is an all-star level player. You know, Miles Turner, people have been waiting for Miles Turner to be something for 12 years, even though he's only like 26 or whatever he is. And I like Miles. But, you know, that should have been the trade. Instead, we traded for James. When you trade for some, oh, yes, this was the point. Now I remember the point. The second round. Yeah. When you trade for someone like James Harden, your ceiling becomes extremely apparent. It becomes extremely, extremely apparent. Now, when he was on the Rockets, did he make it past the second round? Yes, a couple times he did. For sure. He got to the conference finals, I believe, twice. Okay? But in, in, in overall... He is usually not getting past the second round. Just because you put a better player again with him doesn't mean he's going to make it past the second round, especially in an NBA that is so perimeter-centric. It is hard, unless you're someone like Joker, to really impact the game as much as possible offensively when you're depending on someone who can get you the ball on a consistent basis. And as we see every day in the, in the NBA, people do not know how to throw entry passes. The art of the entry pass has gone. It's gone. No one knows how to throw an entry pass anymore. Joel can actually throw pretty good entry passes, but that's because he's coming from a high angle. Most players cannot throw an entry pass, and we can never get the ball to Joel when it matters. You know, we just really difficult. The other thing, too, is Joel needs to be in better shape. Like That, to me, is the biggest thing. If you want to talk about because when you talk about choke artists, when you talk about someone who's a choker, you're talking about somebody who is in fine shape, who isn't injured, but who sucks every single time that there are there's a big moment. And so you take James Harden, right? And the reason why you take him is because he has had like three game sevens where he went two for 11 in those game sevens. He almost had a a third one or a fourth one last year against the, the, the Celtics, except he went three for or he went four for 11 that game. So he dodged it by one make. That is a choke artist, a player who will take 11 shots in a elimination game. That's someone who chokes. That's not quite Joel. Joel tends to have issues with with health and seems to be a little bit out of shape, which makes sense. If you're coming off of an injury and you're trying to get back into shape to play basketball in the playoffs, that's a little difficult. So I I think that there is maybe a little bit truth to him not not at times understanding that he, yo, this is. This is when you're, you need to be having seven blocks a game. This is when I need you to grab 15 rebounds. This is when I need to see the Joel that can destroy perimeter players constantly when defending them. This is not the time for all the other bullshit, for all the other antics. I need you to be the Joel that is this guy. You know what I mean? Not the Joel who is out of shape and seems lackadaisical and he needs, I think he'd benefit from also having like a, you know, a, 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 like a therapist there, you know, like a sports therapist who can help him because he just languishes when he is upset. And that is frustrating. 
You cannot do that. When you're the best player on the team, you don't languish when you're upset. You find another way to, uh, to, to affect the game. If your offense ain't going, you better do it on defense. I mean, I don't know how many times so far we've seen him not run the floor this season. It is wild how many times he hasn't run the floor. And I have not gotten an explanation from the Sixers as to why he had to get into shape now. Last year, he was injured coming into the into the season. So he had to slowly come along before he was in shape by like mid-November. So what's the reason this year? Was he injured? I didn't hear that. What is it? Anyway, this is not about that. Then we complicated things. We got James. Did Daryl lie to James? He probably did. But let me go ahead and play devil's advocate real quick. Devil's advocate real fast. Did James not make Daryl trade for Chris Paul? Did James not then make him trade for Russell Westbrook? Did James then not make him trade Russell Westbrook for John Wall and then ask out? And then demand a trade away from Houston? Yeah, he did all those things. He did all of those things. So before we go ahead and get into all the, oh, you know, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did lie to him. He did for sure. It definitely seems like he lied to him. I'm not finna just sit here and pretend like James doesn't have blood on his hands. Is this a little bit of a what about ism? Yeah, it is because I'm saying, oh, but what about when he did this? That is true. However, I'm just saying, if you, you know, I'm not painting. I'm not. He's not an angel. You know what I mean? Craig David is not making songs about... Wait, was it Craig David who made that song, Angel? Oh, so many R&B artists have made songs called Angel. Anyway, he's not that. All right? That's just my point. There is still work that needs to be done. I like what our team looks like. I like some of the things that I see. I wish we still had Jaden McDaniels on the team because he would be great with Nick Nurse coaching him. But, you know, say la vie. Daryl Morey isn't good at his job. I will be saying that to the end of days. We can go ahead and look at the Daryl Daryl's Rockets history if you want. I think I've done it before. Maybe not. I don't know if I've done a podcast about it. That history ain't what people think it is. The hype around Daryl has been overblown. He is one of the best propagandists we have ever seen in this country. Because people have thought Daryl could just create a team without, and mind you, the heat for wanting Daryl on a team, for wanting Daryl to GM you, as opposed to the heat for uh, 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 people wanting Danny Ainge to be the GM. And I don't mean heat like Miami. I mean like the, the fervor over it, the fervor over wanting Danny Ainge to be the GM of your team. Danny Ainge has built multiple championships, has built championship teams, has built teams that can contend, has identified issues in 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 uh, in the locker room and traded those guys immediately. Daryl has never contended for anything. He's never been to his teams. Never have been to the finals. He just loved James Harden. He identified James Harden. He doesn't even identify that as his best move, which is ludicrous. That is his best move. But James is a his skill set is unlimited. Prime James Harden could give you any stat line and it wouldn't be surprising. He could give you 80 points, 15 rebounds, and 16 assists somehow. And it would be, wow, that's James, though. It makes sense. But James does not contribute to winning. I told a friend, I told the homie Fred earlier, shout out to him. 
that all time, by far, it's not even a debate. James is by far a better player than Manu Ginobili. It's not close. However, the Spurs would never trade Manu for James because Manu did things that contributed to them winning in a way that James doesn't completely understand. And that is why they, while James will be a top 30 player of all time and Manu will be a top 75 player, let's say, or top 100 player of all time, it's why the Spurs would never trade Manu for James. This is the, the quandary that casual basketball fans don't understand. When they look at a team like the Mavericks and say, oh, Kyrie and Luke are the best backcourt. No, they're not. It's not good. The, re- the, the Mavericks are 3-0 and right now. All right? And wait, are they 3-0 and or 2-1? and I can't remember. And Kyrie played the first two games, did not play well. They are winning games because Luka's numbers are absolutely insane. He is putting up video game numbers. He's averaging like 49 and 12, something like that. Just crazy numbers. That's pretty much sums up how they're winning games against teams like the Brooklyn Nets. Against, I forgot who they beat the other day. Now, when they play the teams like the Nuggets, when they play the Suns, when they play maybe the Lakers, I don't know, I don't know, Lakers, TBD. When they play the Celtics, will that be enough? Probably not. It's probably not going to be enough if you're the only guy who can do anything at any given time. And Kyrie isn't going to help that much. That's not the best backcourt in the league. It's just not. Steph and Clay weren't the best backcourt in the league just because they could shoot well. They were the best backcourt in the league because they were on the same page. They could play off of each other. Clay knew who Steph was, but Clay believed he was still great, but never, never in a way that would ever take anything away from Steph. He just knew that that wasn't going to be it. Steph has to cook the way he has to cook, and I'm going to be here to pick up the, the other pieces that I can. And that's it. Those are the guys. Guys like Kai, nah, I'm good. That's not the best backcourt in the league. It's just not. So, yeah, we're going to see what happens here. Uh, Again, I expect there to be another trade. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know who it will be for. I have been racking my head all day about this. Daryl keeps saying he wants an all-star or somebody who brings us close to a championship. That's fair. I don't know who that is, though. Not sure who that player is. I don't know who you could trade Tobias and a pick for to get back something really good. You know, like I, I, other than the bull, I identifying the, because again, you, you have to really consider teams that are like, well, who are the teams that are ready to detonate and come and try again? You know what I mean? Or who are the teams who believe that Tobias is the one piece they need to get them over the hump? Yeah, I don't know who that is. You know, I identified the Pacers, identify the Bulls. I don't know what else is out there, really. Um, so we're going to see what happens. At the end of the day, this trade in it in and of itself is a win. It's kind of like the end of Game of Thrones, right? The last episode of Game of Thrones, I actually liked in a way. It's also like the last episode of Lost. All right, it's the two of the, the exact same explanations. And people were like, how could you like that episode? It's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. Let's get it straight. It's ludicrous. I'm not going to spend all day talking about why it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. But the reason why I thought it was good was because it hit a bunch of emotional points. And it picked up the pieces of garbage that had been written for two straight seasons, two and a half seasons, and given to us. 
And this is all that was left to do. Was just, well, this is the best we got here. This is what we have left for you. You know, the last episode wasn't the problem. The seasons, the two, three seasons prior to the last episode, that was the problem. And the last episode just did its best. It was not a bad finale. So that's how I feel. That's what this trade is right here. It's a trade that's like, well, it sucks when you look at the grand scheme. When you look at the scope of everything of that's happened, it's not a good trade. But in and of itself, it works. It's an addition by subtraction. When you have James, your ceiling is limited. I prefer this team better. We played better before we traded for James. I've been saying that since then. I had said that when I said I didn't want to trade for James before we did it. Then we traded for James. I said then that that was a mistake. And cool, there were some moments where James and Joel played well together. But in general, overall, I did not like that. I did not want James here because there is a very clear and apparent ceiling. And we hit that ceiling. And now we've traded James. And here we are. Uh, So with that said, everyone, we will see what happens. I will try to give you at least one podcast a week. And, you know, shout out to everyone. Again, rest in peace. Uh, And Black Lives Matter. And take care. Yo. Uh, 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 yo. Justice for the blind. Just something that'll find in the rhymes that are coming from my mind. Used to coming from behind.